2 Peter 1, 12 to 21 says this, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that, my departure, that after my departure you may be able, to, able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory <clears throat> from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice come from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity it is to, um, to study it, to be challenged and encouraged by it, to, to even have it here with us to read uh, after it's been written 2,000 years ago and, and preserved and uh, with meticulous detail. God, we're so thankful for those that have stewarded the word of God over, this, over these many years, and we, we're so thankful for the opportunity to proclaim and, uh, and encourage each other with the truth of the word. Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we look at this text, that you encourage our hearts and strengthen us, that you would build us up in our faith, that we might trust uh, more wholly and completely in Jesus for all things. It's in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, this is a ominous question, but it's an important one because we're all going to be there, 100%. As sure as taxes, this is going to be used someday. Um, what do you want to be said at your funeral, you know, what what do you, what do you want them to say about you? Right? Have you ever considered that? There, there's a um, uh, a gentleman that passed away this week of a heart attack, 53 years old, who was known by many of my baristas here, very much encouraged by this man. He's a police officer in Tarpon Springs, and uh, huge funeral at Calvary Baptist this past Saturday, um, and you know, many people paid respects to this man because of his faith in the Lord Jesus and his desire to follow the Lord and his encouragement to all those around him. And there, you know, I'm sure many amazing things said about this man. Um, And so the question is to you and to me, like, how do we want to be remembered at our funeral? Because, you know, they're going to say nice things. I mean, no one's going to get up there and, like, say mean things about you at your funeral, right? But what they say and, and the genuineness with, with, they, which, with which they say it is something that you actually have some, some uh, accountability toward and, and some say in. If you're living a life that's just at, at a surface and, and isn't really going deep with what the Lord wants you to do and what he's calling you to and aren't really pouring into those that he's placed around you, then, then yeah, you might have some nice surface things that are said about you when you pass. He's a nice guy, you know, he's a good brother, good friend, all these things, right? And whether they mean those things or or whether they're just saying them to be kind in the moment is something that you have a say in today with your life. What what is remembered by us, 
uh, what is remembered about us, how we are remembered, all these kind of things, you actually start to determine that today. How you live your life and how you pour into those around you actually is going to impact how you're remembered when you die. It's a really great exercise, actually, to think of because, again, as sure as taxes, you're, you're all going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We haven't figured out a way around escaping this body. So 100% chance that this is going to happen. You will have a funeral someday. And so challenge yourself. Say, well, well, what do I want on my gravestone? What do I want them to say about me when they lay me in the ground, put my body down, right? What do I want them to say? Peter was thinking about this uh, in our passage, actually, and you heard me kind of read through it. Um, There were some things he wanted to be remembered about him. There's some things that he wanted to be remembered about his faith and, and how to follow the Lord that he was being sure to pass on because he was given a greater urgency of the fact that his death was coming soon. And so today's passage starts with Peter speaking of this very morbid topic of death. He says in verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. So the first question we have is, what qualities is he trying to remind us of? Therefore I intend to always remind you of these qualities. Well, these qualities are the qualities we talked about last week in verses uh, verses 5 to 7. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You might remember this list that we walked through of the qualities that Peter was trying to portray and, and encourage in this body of believers he was sending this letter to. And what was the point of that? The point wasn't to like memorize all the little nuances of the pieces in the middle, like all the, all the descriptions, not just to like say, okay, this, this relates to that, and this relates to that, and this relates to that, but rather to look at the bigger picture of what he's saying, right? Faith and love. It starts with faith. Add to your faith. Supplement your faith with these things. And finally, ending at love. What he's getting across to us is faith expressing itself in Christ-like love will produce the things that he described. The the things in the middle of faith and love will be fruit. As you express Christ-like love, faith expressed in Christ-like love produces virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection. You will definitely increase in these things. If your heart has been changed by what Christ has done for you, you cannot help but be moved and motivated toward Christ-likeness. And Christ-likeness looks like these things. Virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. Peter wants to remind them of these qualities, even though they know them. He's like, I know you know that these are true. Like, in your heart of hearts, I know that you know these things should be coming out of you. We know that. Internally, we're like, okay, I know when I messed up. I know when I, you know, I know, my, I know the heart check that's in me. Especially if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit is in your life, convicting you and challenging you. And so you definitely know that these things are to be produced and, and growing within you. And so Peter says to them, wants to remind them of these qualities for a few reasons. In verse 13, he says, I think it right 
as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. He says, I want you to know these qualities because I want to stir you up. I want to challenge you. I want to to get you stirred up in your faith, to to take your faith seriously and apply it to your life, to stir you up. It uh, reminded me of Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25, which says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Peter's looking at a world that's very difficult, right? He's looking at a, a group of churches here in Asia Minor that he's writing this letter to and saying, I know you're being persecuted. I know the culture doesn't accept Christianity as a faith. They actually think you're atheists because you don't think in the pantheon of gods. And so I know that you're looked down upon because of your faith. Even still, he says, I want to remind you of something you do know. Remind you that your faith expressed in Christ-like love looks like these things increasing in your life. And so he wants to stir them up and say, hey, look at your life. Examine your heart and go, are these things increasing in me? Is this something I see? Do I see brotherly affection increasing in me? Do I see steadfastness and self-control increasing in me? Or am I continually giving over to my flesh? Hebrews, I love the way it puts it because it goes on to say, let us not neglect meeting together. The truth is, like, all this faith expressing in love can only be done in the context of a community. Turns out you can't have brotherly affection without a brother, right? Like, this doesn't happen. So these kinds of interactions that we have in self-control and steadfastness, these occur in the context of community. You don't need to control too much of yourself if you're just you all alone. You're not affecting much of anybody, except that you're omitting yourself from contributing to those that you could be contributing to, which is its own problem. But these qualities, he's saying, meet together. Don't neglect meeting together, that you may stir each other up in, in this faith walk. So first he wants to remind them of these things, to stir them up, to make them know, like, this is what it should look like as you're following the Lord Jesus. Second, he wants to remind them of this because he's not going to have much more time to do so. He finds it very important to let them know this is what your life should look like as you're following Christ, and I really want you to know it because I'm about to not be able to visit anymore. Verse 14 says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. At this point, um, Peter, we believe, is in Rome. And when he's writing this, he's probably, this is like 68 AD. So, you know, Christ died 33 AD. So that's, what, 35 years after Christ's death. If Peter was, let's just say, 20, okay, when Christ died right? He's, what is that? 50, what are I, 55? 55? Is that right math? Did I do the math right? Okay. At, at least, right, at, at least 55. I, yes, I use Excel sheets. I don't, use, I don't do math. I don't do math. I don't do math. Let's be honest. Um, so like 55 or so, right? So maybe he's realizing age-wise things are going a different direction. He's recognizing that. But maybe also he's recognizing the rise of persecution around him and seeing people actually martyred for their faith. And and the Lord is saying, like, Peter, this is going to be you also. In fact, 
that's our understanding of what happened a couple years later, is that Peter was then crucified. Lord Jesus had told him, you don't have much more time to say these things, so make sure you say these things. It's a stark reminder of our reality, right? Like, we don't, we're not promised tomorrow. You know? This police officer who died, he didn't die in line of duty. He had a heart attack at his house. You know, he's 53 years old. And, like, life comes real quick at us. And you guys know that. Like, we're not, we're not promised tomorrow. We're promised today. We're promised this moment, right? We don't know when our next step is going to be. And so, Peter's saying, I feel the urgency to follow Christ today, that today is the day of salvation, not because it's uh, unique in some uh, macro sense, but in actuality, I only have today to work with. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about what you can control, which is today. And so he's saying to all this church, look at these qualities that you ought to see. Faith, faith uh, applied in Christ-like love produces these things. So examine your heart and say, man, am I, am I just giving in to every fleshly desire, or am I actually having self-control? You know, am I actually growing in love for those around me? Am I becoming more like God? Am I becoming more pure in my thoughts and my actions? Because I should be if Christ is my central desire. It should be drawing me closer to him. Am I going to be perfect? No. That's not the goal. I mean, we're headed toward that, but you're not going to get there in this life. What you're looking for is, are you trending toward that? Are you pursuing that? Is your heart's desire to be like the Lord and draw closer to him? Peter says this to them because he knows he doesn't have much more time. Finally, he says these things to them so that they'll remember him anytime. He's putting it down in a letter. Okay, Peter didn't write many letters. He wrote two, as far as we understand, that that we've kept in Scripture. I mean, he might have written other letters, but... Uh, in terms of in, in, in the word, two are kept, First Peter and Second Peter. His desire in writing these things down and having them circulated among the churches is that these churches would remember what it is like and remember what to look out for. He says in verse 15, And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. I don't know if you know this, but like, they didn't have email back then. They didn't have like internet blogs, you know. They couldn't like post something online. Like any, they had to like take out a pen with ink that was not cheap and like put it on papyrus and like, you know, write it out. Like this isn't, we think of it just as whatever, but he's like, I'm intentionally going to create a document to send among you so that you know some very important things. It wasn't a small task. Someone else would actually likely do that for you as you dictate it. So it's like, it's a whole process. And so he said, I'm going to make every effort so that you will be able to remember at any time these concerns and these warnings and what the fruit of your life in Christ ought to look like. Peter's chief concern is this, that he's writing to a church, right? He's writing to the churches, And so his chief concern as he's writing these things is that those who are claiming the name of Christian are in fact following Jesus. As we get to through the coming weeks, uh, there are all kinds of false teachers and false prophets that have come in among the church and saying, I'm a Christian and this is what we should believe. 
I'm a Christian, and this is what we should believe. And they've come in among and said, I'm Christian, and Peter wants them to be able to examine their own hearts as a body of believers before the Lord and see that their faith is right and that it's in Christ as it's been proclaimed. I think his point thus far has been this, that when Jesus has changed your heart, your heart has been changed to be like his. Pretty simple. The Lord changes your heart, your heart is changed. Right? I mean, it seems redundant in a way to say it that way, but sometimes we think, well, I met Jesus and he changed my heart, and we don't allow him to continue to change our heart. We're just like, I got a ticket into heaven, and everything else is just, I can do whatever I want. Like, no. If the Lord has changed your heart, you're, you're stopping going this direction, and you're now going another direction. Your heart has changed for something different and something better. And so he says, these things ought to be produced in you, not as a means of earning your righteousness, but rather as a response to how good the love of Christ has been in your life. And so he's challenging them that a changed heart bears fruit. And so these qualities, he says, I want to remind you of these qualities. Because, man, if you've been changed by the Lord Jesus, your faith expressed in Christ-like love is going to mean a love for your brother that cannot be broken. It's going to mean a pursuit of godliness that is unending. It's going to mean self-control over things that, that you maybe never had self-control over. It's going to be, mean steadfastness, right? And steadfastness is going, okay, I might not do perfect today, but I'll do better tomorrow, and I might mess up this day or whatever, but to continue to stay the course and follow the Lord Jesus, be steadfast in my pursuit of him. Christ-like faith, faith in, in, in expressing it in Christ-like love produces these things. And so Peter is challenging them to examine their hearts and, and see if these things are present. <clears throat> Peter starts to get into kind of the conflict that is going on uh, in the communities that he's sending this letter to in verses 16 and following. And he says this, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <clears throat> this is the real problem that Peter is trying to confront in his entire letter is this sentence right here. <clears throat> he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. <clears throat> what he's telling them is this, that Peter and the apostles, uh, or what is happening is this, uh, Peter and the apostles are being accused by those cutting into the church, these false teachers and false prophets, that their testimony about Jesus was just some sort of myth, some sort of legend, some sort of devised fable that they were telling. And, you know, it was actually having effect on people, right? And why would it be having effect on people? I mean, we are, you know, remember, we're 30 years past uh, Jesus' resurrection. You know how fast our minds move on from the next news story to the next news story, right? Like, we're on to a new thing the next day. That's like the attention span. Okay, so it took them 30 years, maybe, to like move on to the next extraordinary thing that happened. But this 
idea that Jesus was just a myth was infiltrating in the church at the time, and, and the basis is likely uh, the circumstances in which the, the church existed, right? Churches are coming up, you know, doubting this because some things are happening in their midst. They're questioning their faith because, well, the church is being persecuted around them. You know, man, if I, if I claim the name of Christ, I get bad on me. Like, people are looking down on me for this. And so there's this tension of pressure from outside, like we talked about in 1 Peter. And then they look around at the greater world and go, it seems like Rome in general has like some decent level of peace and prosperity. I mean, the empire is growing, but Christians are being persecuted. So like, who should I follow again? These Christians who are clinging to the gospel may have been looked at similar to how we look at the guy in the street corner with the sign saying, Jesus is coming back, right? They're like, crazy guy is not coming back today. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> I mean, maybe he is. And so Peter is confronting this myth, this, this uh, accusation that, that they're just telling myths, and Peter's response is, uh, is plain. He was an eyewitness. He says, I, I want to tell you these things because I was there. I, I walked with Jesus. I saw him in the garden when he was being beaten. I saw him crucified. I saw him rise again. I saw him come talk to me on the beach. I saw him and talked to him after he rose from the grave. Peter was a witness to Jesus glory and teaching and miracles and death and resurrection and ascension. So saying this isn't a fable. This isn't a myth. This isn't some story we made up. This is literally what we saw with our eyes. And so I want to make known to you that, that if you believe in this Lord Jesus, then something's going to change in you. Peter then recalls uh, the Mount of Transfiguration as one major example that, that he points to in 2 Peter 1, 17-18. He says, For when we received when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory, that is God above, uh, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I was there when a voice spoke out of the heavens to say, this is my beloved son. This is the moment when Peter uh, decides it's a great idea to like, build a tent for Jesus. <laughs> for Jesus and Moses and Elijah who are, on, who are on the mountain with him. And as soon as he makes the suggestion, everything vanishes. The glory that was there, it all vanishes and, and they go down the mountain. The same word for the tent that he was making, wanted to make, for Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration is the same word he uses for his body in this time. He says, my body is um, about to depart. The putting off of my body will be soon. It's actually tent. This tent is going away. This, the tent is my body. What Peter didn't realize was that Jesus was already a tent. 
he was already carrying the presence of God. And what he knows now, after Holy Spirit has come, is that he too now is carrying the very presence of God as he walks through this world. And so he's challenging this church to say, man, if Holy Spirit has indwelt you, then something's going to change in your heart. You're going to know the difference, and you're also going to know the certainty of where you're headed. And no one can know that for you. You have to know that with Holy Spirit, that you've got a sure foundation and a sure hope in eternity. I can't judge for anybody in this room whether, you know, whether your heart is right before the Lord. It doesn't matter how many seminary classes I go to. If I get a doctorate degree in theology, it's not going to help me examine your heart. I can't do that. That's the beauty of the gospel, actually, is that when you believe on Lord Jesus, he deposits Holy Spirit in your heart, and you are the one that has a sure conviction and a sure understanding that when you die, you will be in heaven. And if you have that sure conviction, that sure understanding, that eternal hope that is in you, this is what's going to happen. These qualities will just be clung to your flesh. You will desire godliness. You will desire self-control. You will desire brotherly affection. You will pour yourself into the community of believers because you know it's your lifeblood. Peter says, I know that my tent is going away, but the Lord is with you. And if he's with you, something is changing in your heart constantly in increasing manner. And so examine yourself and see that it's in there. His concern ultimately is for the salvation of those who are saying, I am Christian. It should be a great conviction to us all to go. He's writing to a church saying, listen, y'all in the church, do you know Jesus? Ooh. I mean, I thought I did because I'm coming to church, right? That means I know Jesus? That's between you and the Lord. And so he's challenged them, no, man, if you know the Lord Jesus, something's changing in your life, in your heart. Whether your circumstances look good or bad are not an indicator of whether the Lord is working in your heart. Which is the challenge he's putting before this persecuted church in the region of Asia Minor. Peter goes on to say in verses 19 to 21, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone, someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter shares these things saying, listen, the Lord has put this on my heart to say to you. I need to be sure that you know these qualities, right? And that's what is on his heart to share with this church. And, and you know what? You know, Peter is an apostle, okay? He, is, he has seen the life of the Lord Jesus. He is... Uh, he has seen, again, the, the Lord's death, resurrection, and ascension. He's seen all these things. But Peter doesn't know why exactly he's saying the things that he's saying. Did you know that? He's being carried along by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has quickened his heart to know that he's about to die. 
that his life is coming to an end. So he says, what can I encourage this group of churches that I so hold dear that they would know and cling to the Lord Jesus? And this is what he gives us, these qualities, right? He says, remember these things. Man, if you have received the promises of God, then add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness, godliness, and godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection, love. Why did he give us that list? I don't even know if he knows. Completely. He just knows the Holy Spirit's telling him to tell them this. So he's saying, I'm speaking this over you, church, and what the Lord wants to do with that, he's going to do with that. That's the beauty of a prophetic word, is what he's saying. We've got this prophetic word, and I'm speaking what the Lord told me to speak. And I don't even know what outcome I'm looking for. I just know the Lord told me to speak it, so that you would be able to recall, so that you might uh, remember these things, so that you might put these things into practice. Like, I just know I need to get this out there. What effect it has, he has no idea. Does Peter know that this letter... 2,000 years later is going to be spoken about in a coffee shop in downtown Clearwater. I don't think that's in Peter's mind. You know what I mean? He's speaking it knowing that the Lord is going to be the one that interprets and challenges our hearts individually with his word. And so he challenges us to look at the scripture, look at the word of God. And for him, predominantly the Old Testament, because that's the only thing that was codified at that point. And then later for us, the New Testament as well. But he's going, hey, look at the Old Testament and know we've got the prophetic word of God. And let that sink into your hearts and know that the Lord is the one who saves. The Lord is the one who saved Joseph. The Lord is the one who saved Israel. The Lord is the one who saved Isaac. The Lord is the one who saved. The Lord is the one who saves. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that truth. So I have a few things to take away as we wrap up this passage. And, and the first is this, and a few passages to go with them. Um, the first is this, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> He's coming back. The guy on the street corner is right. Jesus is coming back. And it is so easy to get lulled to sleep and think, ah, I got another day to work on my stuff. No big deal. I have another day. I'm sure tomorrow will come, and tomorrow is a great day to work on my brotherly affection and godliness. I'll wait till tomorrow. Today I've got a lot of binge watching to do. I really need to get caught up on this TV series. Got some levels to beat on this video game. Some projects to do in my house. Like, whatever the thing is, right? Tomorrow I'll work on being a better follower of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. He wants your day, this day. He wants it. And it's going to be like this. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. 
And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going to go out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Peter is challenging us that the coming back of the Lord Jesus is not a myth or a fable. Jesus ascended that he might return. And so he's challenging this church to go, remember that the Lord came once, right? And he's coming again in power and glory. That's what he tells them. He is coming again in power and glory. And so be mindful. Look at your heart and go, man, are these qualities present in me? Because if they're not, like, maybe I've missed the point of the gospel. Maybe I've missed that Jesus gave his whole life for me, and he wants my whole life surrendered to him in return. Peter's the most prominent, one of the most prominent of the apostles, and yet he calls himself the servant of Christ. Do you consider yourself a servant of the Lord Jesus? Do you consider yourself an apostle, one sent by, not an apostle in a capital A sense, but sent by the Lord Jesus in your life. That's his challenge to us. The Lord is coming back. And are you going to yield to him in your life and his desires for your life and his will for your life? Are you going to continue doing your own thing and saying, you know what, tomorrow I'll work on the spiritual side of my life. I'll just compartmentalize that. And Jesus says, actually, it's not like a compartment. I want all of it like the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental. I want the whole thing. And so give it to me. And you're not promised tomorrow. So start today. Jesus is coming back. Second, don't trust or despair in the midst of waves and wind. Don't trust or despair in the midst of waves and wind. The problem for the church at this time that was receiving this letter is that they're seeing around them prosperity in the kingdom that is around them, right? The kingdom of Rome, the empire. And they're seeing suffering in the kingdom of Christ. So they're looking at the circumstances going, that one looks a little better than this one. Maybe we should be over there, or maybe we should like mix them somehow, <laughs> right? To get a little bit of the good with a little bit of the rough. Maybe we'll just land in between somehow. And the Lord would say, don't trust in the wind or the waves, just in me. James 1, 2-8 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That is, good trials, blessing trials, I gave you something to steward trials, and also rough trials, like I took some stuff away. All trials. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Sound familiar? And steadfastness, let it have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And we should just be able to stop there and go like, yeah, that's the word, I receive it. But James knows better because he knows our hearts, he knows his own heart. And he says this, But let him ask in faith, 
with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If you came to me and asked me for coffee tomorrow in exchange for money, don't you trust that I'm going give to give you that coffee? I, mean, I'm, I do it every day. Every day when people come in and say, hey, I've got $5, I want a latte, we make them lattes. It's just an understanding that we have, that, that when you come in and, and pay for a coffee, we actually give you the coffee. It's a trust that this is what the relationship is. You can count on God as sure, more sure than that, because sometimes we'll be out of coffee or whatever. You know, who knows what happened, right? I don't have control of that stuff. <clears throat> so don't go to the Lord, the creator of all heaven and earth, and ask him for something. Ask him for wisdom for whatever circumstance you're going, whether wave or wind, and go, I'm going to ask him, but he probably won't give it to me. <laughs> Why? Why would you go to the creator of the universe and go, I know you're up there, please help me out. And he might not. He's going to. Listen, he might not answer it the way you want him to answer it. But that's for the good of your own heart. And so don't go to the Lord in heaven and go, Lord, I need your help, I need your wisdom, and just expect him to not pay attention. Because he knows your heart. He's listening. He hears you. And he's going to respond in the way that you need him to respond, not in the way that you want him to respond. So don't trust or despair in the waves and wind. It can be very easy to trust in success. We can look at our country. We're very blessed. It's a beautiful place to live. There's a lot of advantages here. Okay? And we can start to trust in that. And that's kind of a problem for our heart. <laughs> we, we can despair because maybe we're not as far along the career path as some other people. We can despair uh, because of family life or whatever it may be. But man, <laughs> if your despair is based on circumstance, you need to check your heart and go to the Lord and go, Lord, what do you want to teach me in this? How do you want to change me? Don't trust or despair in the waves and the wind. Finally, let the Lord fulfill the prophecy. Let the Lord fulfill his word. And if you ask him for wisdom, he's going to fulfill it for you. Okay? He, he's going to speak it to you. He's going to speak to you exactly what you need to hear. The thing about prophecy is that it's a word, a very true word that, that speaks into somebody's life. It's, it's actually exactly what you need to hear. And it's the Lord's job to interpret that for you. Someone speaks a word of you, they might not know why they spoke it. They might not know why it came. The Lord is the one that knows why it came, and he fellowships with your spirit to tell you why it came. A long time ago, uh, there's a preacher, prophet, uh, that my parents were good friends with. He'd come, pass through our area all the time. He'd come have a Bible study, go around, you know, have prayer with everybody. And the man, it didn't matter if he never met you in his life. He'd go around and talk to every single person and just pray for every single person one at a time. One at a time, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And the Lord just blessed him with a gift to speak 
exactly what you needed to hear that day. Individually, like one to one. And so I remember to this day what he said to me one, one of those times. He said, you're enrolled in the school of the Spirit. You're enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit. And that's stuck with me ever since, because at the time I was like deciding whether I was going to go to Bible college or not. And I wasn't supposed to go to Bible college. And I knew that in my heart, but I didn't know that. I knew that in my spirit. I didn't know that in my heart. Maybe maybe it's that way. And he said, you're enrolled in the school of the Holy Spirit. So do what I said to do. Go to college where you thought you were going to go to college. It's basically what it was for me. And you know what? It had a fulfillment in the moment, but it's had a continuous fulfillment throughout my life. That the Lord has enrolled me in a school of the Holy Spirit. We have examples of, of similar things in Scripture, okay? In, in Daniel, chapter 5, verse 24 to 28, we see this story of um, the, uh, the ruler there having a huge banquet of people come in in chapter 5. He has this huge banquet of people, and they actually take the goblets that are used in the temple that they had stolen from Jerusalem, and they're using them to pour wine and to have their feast, Right? Well, in the midst of that, a hand appears in the room, like just a hand, and goes to the wall and writes, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. And they look for all these people to come try and interpret what in the world this means, right? And go, why did a hand gravitate into the room, first of all, and why did it write Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson? And it wasn't until they called upon Daniel And Daniel came and gave the meaning for what the Lord had said. Verse 24, chapter 5. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. And this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered your days, numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. He says that twice. Mene, Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Emphasizing it, right? Tickle, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Man, I don't want that to mean my funeral. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't want the hand of life to come and write that over my funeral. Uh, Man, I want to be pursuing the faith of the Lord Jesus and allow his love to be transforming my heart every single day so that that's not the thing that's written over my funeral. The Lord's going to fulfill his prophecy. And his desire for you today is to trust in the Lord Jesus, to hear the words of Peter when he says, man, Hold on to these qualities as you trust in the Lord Jesus. Express your faith in Christ-like love and let it transform and change you every single day of your life. Let the Lord examine your heart and know the Holy Spirit is present in you in directing every path of yours. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the way it challenges us and encourages us. God, we're, we're amazed by... Um, how applicable it is 2,000 years after it was written, God. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you convict and challenge our hearts this morning, that we would have the same urgency as Peter in our lives, 
to order our lives and order our days and order our steps and our relationships and our jobs and our desires and all these things, to order them around your desire for our life. We don't want to be like the unwise virgins who, who didn't even bring oil to be prepared. We don't want to be like uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his leaders and, and live a life that's um, offensive to you, God, when you've so clearly shown up. We don't want to be tossed in the waves and wind of the storm, Lord. We want to be, sure, be on a sure foundation in Christ Jesus. And so, God, let us hear the words of Second Peter. Let it challenge our hearts to trust more deeply and steadfastly in the gospel. It's not a myth. Lord Jesus, you came to earth born of a virgin. You lived a perfect life. You died on a cross in substitution for our sin. You nailed it there once for all. It was the only sacrifice needed. And because you lived a perfect life, you died in the flesh, but you rose again from the grave, conquering death and sin, the effect of sin. And Lord, you spoke to your disciples and you commissioned them to go out into this world and to preach this good news. And you ascended into heaven. And you're coming back, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that you would convict our hearts and challenge us to order our days, order our steps around your word. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet. Let your prophecies be fulfilled in our hearts and in our minds. God, give your young men visions. Give your old men dreams. Pour out your spirit on us, Lord Jesus. We might follow you in everything we do. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.